New Year is such a great time to both look back and to look forward. So as I've been looking back over the past year, I just reflect on how God's brought me from where I was to where I am today. So in, back in 2017, I graduated from undergrad. And at my graduation, I had huge plans for my life. I had a lot of things that were on my mind on what I wanted to do. I had plans to get married to my girlfriend of five years, to come to Chicago to either attend one of the many universities to pursue a PhD and work probably as a copy editor at some type of newspaper. But at my graduation, my girlfriend broke up with me at my graduation. So entering the summer of 2017, I entered it with no plan. I wasn't gonna leave my parents just to move to Chicago for really no reason. So I left with college with no plan, no girlfriend, and really no purpose or direction. But during that summer, God met me where I was at. And he just called me to one simple thing and that was to join the military. And I didn't really feel like I could be called by God to do anything. And in a lot of ways, many of us feel like that in various areas of our life. We feel the Spirit leading us to do something contrary to what we want to do for our own life. We feel God calling us, but we don't feel worthy of the calling that he's placing upon us. But one of the things to ask is, in what ways over the past year have you seen God be faithful to you? Over the past year, where has God called you, and did you obey or didn't you? And really, the big question is, obedience, is it worth the risk to follow him? Is it worth the sacrifices that he might make us, or might ask us to make? So, with this, we turn to Genesis 12, which is the call of Abraham, where we're introduced to another unlikely hero and the patriarch of Israel and the father of our faith. So, if you would open to Genesis 12, we'll open with our passage. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we're introduced to this character Abram. But to really understand the absurdity of what God is asking Abram to do, we have to step back a couple verses, back into chapter 11, verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So here we're introduced to the person of Abram, who we see is getting up in age. He has no children because his wife is barren. He's, as we'll see in a later book, in the book of Joshua, he's an idolater. The land that he's coming from, both Ur and the land of Haran, are centers in the ancient Near East of moon worship. So they would have been worshiping the moon gods. And God calls this man 
to leave his land. So with this further background, let's look at the verses verse by verse. Going back to Genesis 12.1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There are two commands given to Abram, and the first has three parts. The first command is to go. It's to, first, to leave your country. So comparing this to our global worldview that we live in today, this idea of leaving your country doesn't really seem like that big of a deal because, let's be honest, most of us aren't from Chicago. Some of you might be, and that's awesome, but a lot of us are from, I'm from Pennsylvania. Some of you might be from other countries like Korea. So we live in a very globalized world. But this wasn't the case for the ancient Near East. Not only was your identity tied to the land that you were born in, but your very gods that you worshipped were tied to the land. They were regional gods. They weren't the omnipotent god of scripture. They were gods that you had to go to a temple to worship, to build idols to worship, and they were local. So Abram is being called to leave both his identity and to leave his gods. Second, he's called to leave his kindred. The kindred is your tribe, the people that you know who know you. In modern sensibility, this is leaving your security. There was no police force in the ancient Near East that if someone did wrong against you, you had no organizational body to stand up for your justice. You you leaned into the people who knew you, your neighbors, to enforce justice. And to leave one's tribe, to leave one's kindred, was to walk out vulnerable into a world that did not care about you. This is why God put such an importance upon protecting the vulnerable, for looking out for the foreigner and the sojourner amongst the Israelites in the later books. Because the foreigner and the sojourner had no one to protect them. They were on their own, and they were vulnerable. And this is what Abram is being called to do, to leave his nation, to leave his country, and to leave his kindred. And then third, he's called to leave his father's house. This is to leave both his immediate family and also to abandon the inheritance and the blessing that would have been left to him by his father. When Terah would have died, which you see he doesn't die until later in Abram's life, he would have given him both the inheritance as the firstborn son and also a blessing that would go with him. This blessing is the equivalent of this is our family legacy. Go forth and be blessed by the gods. But to leave before his father dies is to leave behind that blessing, to leave behind everything that his father would have left for him. And in addition, there's an additional loss of security because most likely it would have been your cousins or your brothers or someone closer to you who would have enforced, secure, enforced justice if somebody did something wrong to you. So there's a double loss of security by leaving both family and tribe. So the question becomes, is obedience worth the risk? And the thing is, God doesn't only give the command for Abram to go. He gives them promises that are there to empower him to obedience. He doesn't just say go and in his sovereignty force Abraham to leave his land. He says go and here's what I will do in your obedience. Verses two and three. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. 
and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the first response, we see Abram called to leave his nation, and God's promise is, I will make you a great nation. And this is more than just a land to inherit. This is God saying that I will take you and make you into a nation, not just someone who inhabits a new land, but someone whose family line will be that land. Not just a family, but a whole people group. The word nation here doesn't refer to a country, but to a large group of peoples that are united. A whole nation. And the absurdity of this is that Abram is a fatherless man whose heir and legal, uh, he's the guardian of his nephew Lot, and most likely his heir would have been one of the servants within his household. So he's probably thinking, okay, I believe you, but how are you going to do this? I have no ability to have an heir of my own blood. How am I supposed to go about becoming a nation? But the the second promise is that he will be blessed. And in ancient Near Eastern language, this language of blessing and cursing is actually the language of protection. God is saying, I'm calling you out of your security by asking you to leave your tribe and leave your family, but I will be your protection. Step out of their security and step into my security. Step into the protection that I will behold you. Abram is called to step out in faith in the trust of this God who he is just now meeting, this unknown God who is calling to him to step under his protection. And the third promise is to make him a great name. And to understand what the importance of this promise is, we actually would have to go back to chapter 11 again to the famous story of the Tower of Babel. And for those of you that don't know the Tower of Babel story, all of humanity after the flood were afraid of being spread out amongst uh, all of the world. And so, in their pride, humanity came together, all of one tribe and one tongue, and they decided that we're going to build a tower up to God and make our names great. In verse 4 of chapter 11, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make for ourselves a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. At the Tower of Babel, mankind said, I will make my name great. But here's God coming to Abraham saying, I will make your name great. The result of the Tower of Babel was the exact thing that the people feared. They came together to try and make their names great, lest they be dispersed around the world. But God dispersed them because of their pride. And here, Abram is being told that I will make your name great, and I will give you a nation So the very opposite is true, but it's not in Abram's power, it's in God's. So before we move into looking at it a little bit more, let's compare this to another ancient Near Eastern mythology. Some of you may have heard of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is a Babylonian and Sumerian series of mythology about a Sumerian king who was probably a real king of of Sumeria who is named Gilgamesh. And he's portrayed in their mythology as a demigod, a great king, a powerful, a powerful warrior. And he is someone who is portrayed as someone who sought the gods in his power to seek protection from a great global flood, who sought the gods when a military trial was coming on him. 
But when we compare the story of Gilgamesh, this powerful king, to the story of Abram, the father of Israel, we get a very stark contrast of this great demigod-like character and this humble man who has no children of his own being called to start his own nation or to be the father of a nation. In other ancient Near Eastern cultures, you grand, made a grandiose story of your heroes. Gilgamesh was made into this demigod-like figure, whereas Abram is never portrayed like that in the rest of Scripture. And here's the, here's the, fact, here's the point, and that God doesn't call people that are already equipped and ready for what he's calling them to. God calls us, calls the unequipped, and then he equips them for his calling upon them. So the reality is, obedience is worth the risk. And so let's look at what Abram does in response. In verse 4, we see him, the story continue. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Sheshem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the east or west and Ai to the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. So in this passage, we see three things that Abraham responds with. The first one is he responds with obedience. He takes that step of faith, literally taking a step out of Haran to follow God's calling. Second, we see the promise furthered. Out of his obedience, he goes to the land of Canaan where God meets him once again and says, essentially, because you've obeyed me, this is not only, am I the, or this is the land that I told you I would show you. And he furthers the promise and says, not only is this the land that I would show you, this land I will give to your descendants. But once again, he has to be thinking, what descendants are you going to give this land to? And why am I following if I can't possibly fulfill this promises in my strength? But instead of asking these sorts of questions, instead of challenging God, Abram responds with worship by building an altar. And it's not like one of the altars that we think of where you build stones and slaughter an animal and burn them for a God. This is an altar made of stones that is to stand as a memorial of God's faithfulness for generations to come. He builds this altar to say that at this place, at the tree in Mora. God met me and, ex and furthered the promise that he has placed before me, that in this land, this land of Canaan, he will give it to me and my descendants. So what does this really mean for us today? The first point that we need to understand is this story isn't about us. This is the story of Abraham and the introduction to the history of Israel. This is not a prescriptive narrative saying what obedience should look like. This is not 
us being told that we need to go from our lands, go from our families, and go from the people that we know to, in order to obey God. Surely some of you might be called to go out and be missionaries in a foreign land, but this isn't what this narrative is about. This is a descriptive narrative describing the faithful obedience of the father of, of Israel and also a descriptive narrative showing the faithfulness of God. God equips unlikely people to fulfill his mission. But God both gives the call and he gives the ability to obey the call. He gives the strength and the motivation to obey. He says to go, but then he also gives the promises to motivate in order to obey the very thing that he commanded to do. He empowers Abram to faithfulness. The reality is he doesn't equip those who are already ready to go. He equips those who feel downtrodden. He equips those who are humbled before him and gives them the strength to obey. As we look through the rest of the uh, this narrative of scripture, we see that God has a various band of misfits. Moses, Rahab, Ruth, David, Peter, Paul. Moses murdered an Egyptian and was sent into exile. Rahab was a lady of the night. Ruth was a foreigner and a widow. David was the youngest of 12 sons and an adulterer who had the husband of the woman that he slept with murdered when it turned out she was pregnant in order to hide his sins. Peter was an uneducated fisherman with a, a bit of a wild side. And Paul was the leading persecutor of the church. God doesn't call those who society would say is the best choice. God calls us not because we are worthy, but because God is great and capable of being glorified even through our failures and our mistakes. So what's our mission today? Well, as a whole church, as we know with Rafe's weekly benediction, the great commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see a lot of parallels between the Great Commission and the call of Abraham. In both situations, we see the command to go and the command to bless. We're told as we go about our days to make disciples. And by, in order to make disciples, we're being called to bless people by introducing them to the person of Jesus and everything that he has done. So what does this look like for us as South Loop? Well, the way that we are trying to enact our mission and our vision is through something we're calling the Bless 15 list, which you might have seen up above earlier. Which, if you haven't heard of the Bless 15 list, it's five main things. You begin with prayer. You make, make a list of 15 people that are either far from God or don't know God. And you begin by praying for them. You listen to their story, you eat with them, you serve them, and then you share your story with them. And this is our way of trying to obey the Great Commission. But that's the grand call for all of us as Christians. But the reality is also God has a unique purpose for each and every one of you here. God has a unique purpose for your life and a unique calling that he is placing upon your heart. So the question is, what, what's God been laying on your heart over the past year, over the past month? If you don't know, seek him and ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if you do know, but you haven't been obeying the call, 
or have been rebelling and pushing against something that he has placed on your heart, what's holding you back? What is God placing on your heart and why are you trying to resist it? And there's two main reasons that we resist God's calling for us. The first one is that we don't really trust God to be good. We know that he is good, but we don't really believe it. We don't really trust it to be true. We know it objectively in our heads, but our life does not show the faith in his goodness. And there's various examples to why this might be the case. Maybe you had a loss of a relationship that you were convinced was from God, that you were certain that this is God's call for my life to marry this person. And then one day that person was gone. And this resulted in a lack of trust that he is good and and in control of your relationships. Or maybe you lost a job or even in other situations, you're just exhausted from pursuing something that he has placed on your heart for years and years. And you just don't really believe that the God that put this on your heart could really care enough to help you complete it. But on the other hand, a lot of us just don't feel worthy of the calling that is placed before us. You might be thinking, Josh, I don't, you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know where I've come from. And the reality is, no, I don't. But God does. And the fact is that we are all sinners. And honestly, we're all unworthy of whatever calling that God has placed upon us. Not one of us is deserving of the grace that he has extended to us. But here's the promise that he gave to us in 1 John 1, 9. He tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in that moment when we feel unworthy of the calling that God has placed before us, the thing that he is placing on our heart, the second problem actually turns out to be the first problem once again. We don't trust in the goodness of God. We don't trust in God to be true to his word, that he will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reality is the second person of the Godhead came as a baby and grew up and lived a sinless life. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He died in our place, bearing the punishment that each and every one of us deserved. And not only did he bear those punishment and die, he justified us through the resurrection. And when we look not just at the story of Jesus, but see how all of scripture points to him, how it starts with Abram in simple obedience to God calling him to go, that we can go from the God who called Abraham to the God who then through the seed of Abraham came into this world to bear our sin debt, that if we believe in him, he will forgive us of our sins. So the reality is God equips the called by his grace. So if you're feeling unworthy of the calling and what God's placing on your heart, the desires that he's placing upon you, in your own strength, yes, you're unworthy and incapable of completing what God's placed before you. But in Christ, in the very God who became flesh, He bore the sins that make you feel unworthy. So in Christ, we become worthy to be called children of God. And that if we believe in him, his death paid our sin debt and his resurrection justified us. 
So not only is obedience worth the risk of whatever God calls you to leave or leave behind, the opposite is even more true. Disobedience is not worth the risk. So how do we apply this to our lives today? So in order to go and be a blessing, we must grow our individual relationships with God, not just individually, but also as a community and move towards God together and in our personal lives. And how do we do this? It's through prayer and it's through scripture. The Psalm 37, four through five tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. So as we start this new year, here's the challenge that I'm placing before you. No matter what you're doing now, let's add 15 minutes of time with God. This can be broken down into 10 minutes of reading your Bible, responding with five minutes of prayer. And a great place to start is with the story of Abraham. We've been introduced to who he is and continue from chapter 12 through chapter 26 to see what does God do with Abram. We see a character who is called to go and that his seed will inherit this nation. But it isn't until 25 years later that he ever has that promised son. So as we enter this new year, let's dedicate especially the first part of this year, to him. Let's spend more time reading and engaging with his word because his word was the word made flesh. The word reflects and points to Jesus. And engaging with this book, we're not just engaging with a book, but we are engaging with Jesus himself because this, everything in here points to the person of Jesus. And through studying this word, we develop our relationship with him. And then through prayer and response, allow God to speak to your heart through whatever you've read, whether it be in the Old or in the New Testament. So what did Abraham have to give up? He was asked to leave his identity. He was asked to leave his security. And he was asked to leave his legacy. But in response, God gave him promises to give him both a nation his protection and a family legacy that would be far greater than anyone could accomplish. And our response to this should be to engage with the very same God who met him where he was at, not because of anything in us, but because God reached out and came to us. God does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. So let us look to Abram's example and follow his lead because obedience leads to our greatest satisfaction in this life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everyone that's here and for everyone that gets to hear this message. Lord, I pray that your spirit will speak to their hearts and engage with them, that we will see that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Help us to reflect on those words and come into deeper relationship with you today, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.